For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. The title of our sermon this evening is The Leper and the Gospel. The Leper and the Gospel. And what we find here is a miracle, a miracle that Jesus Christ performs. And we know, reading the Gospels, that Jesus, that the point of the miracles wasn't simply to see Christ's power. That was not in and of itself the purpose or intention behind Christ's healing or his works of uh, healing. What he was doing in performing many miracles, many miracles of healing, raising the dead, etc., was to illustrate spiritual realities. We see the blind. We see Jesus Christ heal the blind. And we are reminded of our own spiritual blindness before um, the, the Holy Spirit bringing about grace in our hearts. We are reminded that we do not see the truth from birth, but we need to have our eyes opened. We see the deaf who are given the ability to hear by Jesus Christ. And we are reminded that there was a time when we turned a deaf ear to his law. We were not willing to listen to his law, but he has opened your ear. He has opened my ear in the preaching of the gospel, in the effectual call. We are reminded when Jesus Christ heals the lame that spiritually, in and of ourselves, we are able to do nothing for God, but we must be given the ability to walk and leap. We see the dead who are raised, and we are reminded that we were once dead in trespasses and sins, enslaved to Satan, children of the devil. And we see Jesus Christ cure those who are demon-possessed. We are reminded that there was a time when we were slaves to the devil, when we were slaves to Satan, but Jesus Christ destroyed the works of the devil in the gospel, in his work on the cross. And here, we see a particular malady that uh, afflicted a particular man. We see a man who is infected with leprosy. He was infected with leprosy, and we are reminded that our sin has an infectious nature to it. It is a contagion. You spend time around angry men and you become an angry man. You spend time around complainers and you yourself become a complainer. Why is that? Why is that? It's because sin is a gangrene. It spreads. Sin is a leaven. Iniquity is a leaven which spreads. That makes church discipline necessary. But it's true among us that in and of ourselves, by ourselves, according to our corrupt nature, our sin is infectious and it is a contagion. And that is what we see illustrated here with the leper. With the leper. I want to divide this text, these two verses, verses 12 and 13 of Luke chapter five, I want to divide them up into three sections. Three sections. First, we'll see the leper. We'll see the leper. That's verse 12a. While he was in, the, in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him. Point number two, the plea. He said, he implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's the plea. And point number three, 
Christ's response, verse 13. And he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. So we'll see the leper, we'll see his plea, and we'll see Christ's response. Point number one, the leper, verse 12a. Read along with me. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. If you read through Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, you'll see that there are provisions made in the Levitical priesthood according to the ceremonial law for the um, examination and the identification of leprosy in men and women in Israelites, okay? Sometimes they would have a piece of leprosy that's in their beard or on top of their head or on their arm in a boil, etc. This man did not just have a spot of leprosy. He didn't just have leprosy in his beard or on the top of his head. He was covered with leprosy. He was literally full of leprosy from head to toe. And what we see illustrated here by this leper who is covered with leprosy is an illustration of the doctrine which we call total depravity. Brothers and sisters, in and of ourselves, according to our corrupt nature, according to the old man, we are totally depraved. That is, that is, sin touches not only your physical body, it touches your mind. Sin touches your heart. Sin touches your conscience and the ability of the function of your conscience. Sin touches your will. Sin touches the entirety of your being from birth. We are from birth, totally depraved. You from birth are covered with spiritual leprosy. You are covered with spiritual leprosy. Look with me at Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. And we'll be flipping to various texts in the Bible to help elucidate the truths that are found in this um, miracle that Jesus performs in Luke chapter five. We'll be turning to various texts. So we see a man covered with leprosy and that is an illustration of our total depravity. Head to foot. Romans chapter eight, verse six. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Now notice, notice the contrast that Paul draws here. There are two kinds of men in this world. There are those who have the mind set on the flesh and there are those who have the mind set on the spirit. And we know from Galatians chapter five that what that means is not that you become converted and therefore you are perfected and you have no more flesh at all. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is when you become converted, you have a new nature that combats the old nature. You are not simply left with a corrupt nature that enslaves you, that dominates you. You are no longer under the dominion of sin when you become converted, when grace renews you. Okay, so you have the mindset on the flesh, which is a a man or a woman who has only a corrupt nature. And then you have the mindset on the spirit, which is one who has the principle of both life and death within him. Someone who has both the flesh and the spirit to contend with, and he may not do as he pleases. That's Galatians chapter five, as I stated. Two kinds of men, flesh and spirit. Verse seven, so he says the mindset on the Flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Why? Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. By nature, from birth, you are an enemy 
of God. You are no friend of his. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. Do you see how the evidence of the hostility toward God is in the manner of subjection to his law? If you obey his law, you are a friend. If you disobey his law, you are an enemy. Do you see? Why, why is it that the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God? What is the evidence for this? It does not subject itself to the law of God. And why not? For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot. There is nothing within them which is able to do anything that is pleasing to the Lord, but everything, every faculty of their being is hostility toward him. And the mind set on the flesh is enmity, hatred toward God, and it does not subject itself to his law. That is what we see here, illustrated in the leper, a man covered head to toe with leprosy. And you and me, we are by nature lepers. What does that look like? What's another way that we can see that illustrated? Turn with me to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13 And there are two chapters, I believe, in the book of Leviticus 13 and 14 that deal with the laws of cleansing and examination and identification of leprosy. And what these chapters teach us is something about sin, okay? Everything in the Old Testament, everything according to the Old Covenant is a picture of spiritual realities that we see clearly laid out in the New Testament. And that includes Leviticus 13 and 14. And what we see in Leviticus 13 and 14 are rules and regulations that are dealing with the identification of leprosy in in Israelites. And there is a summary statement here in chapter 13 of Leviticus. Look at verse 45. And and think with me, right? Make the application. um, Bring to bear New Testament realities on this text as you think through it. We've been talking about how leprosy is an illustration of sin and its infectious nature. Look at Leviticus 13, 45. As for the leper who has the infection, it's a special word, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. Why? He is supposed to notify others of his infectious disease. That's why. That's why he tears his clothes That's why the hair of his head is uncovered. That's why he covers his mouth and he says, unclean, unclean. It's because he is notifying those around him that he has an infectious disease. Verse 46, so what should he do with this? He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Why? Because his leprosy is contagious. It spreads to others. And that is the way you and I are by nature. Our leprosy spreads to others. Can you bring anything clean out of what is unclean? We are a people of unclean lips. And we are among people with unclean lips. We have unclean lips. We are among those who are angry. And we spur one another on to anger. We spur one another on to covetousness. Our sin spreads to others. That should humble you. 
when you consider your sin. When you consider your sin according to the old nature, when you consider your sin as you were when you were unconverted, and when you consider your sin as it manifests itself, even as you are a converted person, it should humble you when you consider, I have marks of leprosy, marks of leprosy according to the old man. You are not glorified yet. You are clean, but not all of you. You see, that's John chapter 13 that I'm quoting to you. You are clean, but not all of you. You are forgiven, but you need to be sanctified. You need to have your feet washed by Christ. Make sense? Luke chapter five. So we see here a man covered with leprosy. And that is an illustration of our total depravity according to the old man, according to our corrupt nature, right? So Luke chapter five, we see in verse 12a, he is covered with leprosy. And what happens? And when he saw Jesus, he responds. Why, why does he respond in the way that he does? It's because of what he sees. He found hope. He didn't see a doctor. He didn't see a physician. He didn't see a philosopher. He saw Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus Christ. And how does he respond when he sees Jesus Christ? He responds with hope. Notice, he fell on his face. That is an external disposition that's showing us his humility. He's humbled in the presence of Jesus Christ. Look at the beginning of chapter five. I believe Luke was trying to emphasize a point here. It's not a coincidence that we find a similar account um, in the very previous paragraph. Luke chapter five, verse six. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Do you see how Peter recognizes a miracle that Jesus performed and he sees that that miracle is indicative of who Jesus Christ is. He recognizes his own identity as a sinful man. He falls on his face and he cries out to Jesus and he says, go away from me, Lord. He recognizes who he is, his authority, his power, and he recognizes who he is. And he says, for I am a sinful man. We see something here that is similar with the leper. He's covered with leprosy. He knows his total depravity. He knows that he has no other hope, no hope in a physician, no hope in a doctor, no hope in a philosopher, but he sees Jesus Christ and he falls at his face in humility. And Jesus Christ elsewhere, he says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This man humbles himself before Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He implores him. That doesn't mean he made a simple request, an offhanded cavalier request. Can I get a happy meal? It wasn't like that, okay? It wasn't a simple request. He was begging Jesus Christ. He implored Jesus Christ. He was pleading with Jesus Christ. You are my only hope. He fell on his face and he cried out to Jesus, to Jesus please, I beg of you. Why did he beg? Why did he beg? You can see the reason in Luke chapter six. What do why do beggars beg? Why do beggars beg? Luke chapter six, verse 20. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The leper saw his poverty. That's why he begged, his spiritual poverty. Blessed are you who hunger. He recognized his his hunger. He knew that there was no other source of food. Jesus Christ satisfied him. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. He wept and Jesus Christ comforted him. Why, Why am I saying this? I'm not just talking about a leper. I'm talking about you. If you're converted, you had an experience like this at some point, to some degree or another. It didn't look exactly like this, perhaps. But every, everyone who is exalted has been humbled. You have been humbled before the lordship of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is your only hope at some point or another. So point number one, point number one, the leper. He was covered with leprosy. It's a picture of our total depravity. He saw Jesus He knew that he had hope. He fell on his face. He was humbled and he implored Jesus Christ. He begged Jesus Christ. He pled with Jesus Christ. Point number two, notice with me his plea, his plea. What does does he say? What's the content of his begging? Look at verse 12b. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There are three parts of this plea. Notice first, the address. He calls him Lord. He recognizes his authority. He recognizes his power. Nobody has a power to cleanse you from leprosy except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, God says, I give life. I put to death. I wound. I heal. Even through hospitals, God is the one ultimately who heals. He heals. And the leper recognizes his authority to do so. He recognizes his power. And that's, that's the place that this leper is coming from. That's, what, that's the specific attribute of God that he recognizes that gives him hope. His authority doesn't scare him off. He's gonna give me more leprosy. That's not what he's afraid of. He sees his great authority and power and therefore he flees him. He falls on his face and he begs him, knowing that he has the power to cleanse him. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice, first of all, the last phrase, you can make me clean. He had faith. You see in that first phrase, if you are willing, you see hope, right? You see hope. In the second phrase, you see faith. You can. If you are willing, so I know there's hope, The second phrase, you can make me clean. That's faith. Hope and faith are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Sometimes we use them interchangeably because there's overlap in their meanings. But hope and faith aren't the same thing. This is why you can have a true Christian who exercises saving faith in Jesus Christ and yet has problems with assurance of salvation. It's because he has faith, but his hope is very little. His hope for himself is very little. Faith and hope are not the same thing. In this leper, he comes to Jesus Christ with hope. He says, "If, if you are willing... And he comes with faith. You can make me clean. So notice, notice with me, Christ's ability. Christ's ability. You can make me clean. That's what the leper places his faith in, is the ability of Jesus Christ. Look with me at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And in this section of Luke chapter 18, we see the, par- the, uh, the story of the, um, the rich young ruler. 
the rich young ruler. And you know that story, you know that encounter. Verse 24 of Luke chapter 18. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is, how difficult it is for those who are wealthy, for those who have much in this life, for those who are blessed in many ways in this life. How hard it is for someone like that to see their need and to enter into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he strengthens his statement, verse 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Whatever that means, whatever that means, what he's saying is it's hard. It's hard. And notice their response. Notice his disciples' response. Verse 26. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? If it's that hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, who can be saved? Out of all of the categories of men, rich or poor, who can be saved if it's that hard for a wealthy man to enter into the kingdom of God? Who can be saved? Verse 27. Notice Jesus' response. It's very telling. But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. They are possible with God. You see Jesus Christ's ability where others are unable. You've been battling sin. You've been battling the seventh commandment. You've been struck by your inability. You've been struck by the fact that your corrupt nature is strong. It's strong. If you're unconverted, you know what the battle is like. You are unable. It is impossible to free yourself from the seventh commandment, from the ninth commandment, from the 10th commandment. You're a complainer and you just can't stop complaining. You just can't stop being impatient with others. You can't get rid of that bitterness in your heart. It's there forever. You will not be able to drive it out of yourself. You know your inability. Look to Jesus Christ. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And this leper, he knew nobody else can free me. I can't free myself from leprosy. As much as I've scraped these boils off myself, as much as I've tried to rub off the cysts, I am leprous and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm alone. I'm infectious. I'm contagious. I have to be outside of the camp. I have to cry out to others when they come near. Unclean, unclean. My, my robes are torn. My hair is uncovered. Everybody knows. Everybody knows my sin. But he sees Jesus Christ. He knows he can't save himself, but he sees Jesus Christ. He sees his authority. He sees his power. He comes to him. He falls on his face and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can. I can't, but you can. Do you see his faith? Do you see the faith of the leper? That's an experience like what you had when you got converted. And there's a, there's a point that I'm driving there's a point that I'm driving and we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. But notice with me, third. The third characteristic of his plea. Not only, not only does he recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, not only does he recognize the ability of, of Jesus Christ, but he has hope in the willingness of Jesus Christ. In the willingness of Jesus Christ. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This is a matter of hope because we know that the Lord doesn't make everyone clean. The Lord doesn't make everyone clean. There are, I'm telling you now, in all solemnity, there are people who are tortured in hell as I speak.
speak because while they were on earth, they did the very things that you have done. They did the very things that you have done. Not everyone will be cleansed of their leprosy. But there is a place for hope. There is a place for hope. And this leper has hope. He says, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can. And that's why he's coming to him because he knows the freeness of the offer of the gospel. Not everyone has the gospel applied to them, but anyone can hear the gospel. Anyone can hear the gospel. The gospel can go out to anyone. No one is barred from that message. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 18. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 18. What's the heart of God? What's the heart of God toward unbelievers? What's the heart of of God towards sinners? Ezekiel chapter 18, look at verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Each according to his conduct declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I, notice, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore repent and live. Again, again he says in verse 23, do I have Any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. In Acts chapter 17, we're told that God calls all men everywhere to repent. The gospel can go out to anyone because the gospel is about coming to a willing savior. And that is our grounds for hope. That's our grounds for hope. Anyone can hear the gospel. So, We've seen point number one, the leper. He was covered with leprosy. It's an illustration of our total depravity, that every faculty of our being is infected by our sin. We've seen that when he saw Jesus and he had hope, he fell on his face in humility and he begged Jesus Christ. He implored Jesus Christ. And the content of his begging, the content of his plea was first an address to his lordship, a recognition of his ability to make him clean and a hope in his willingness that he might cleanse him. Lastly, point number three, notice Christ's response. Christ's response. So Jesus has a leper approach him and the leper says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Does Jesus drive him away? Does Jesus say, you need to go outside the camp? You should be crying out to me, unclean, unclean right now. Why are you approaching me? You can infect me. Is that Jesus' response? Was that Jesus' response when you went to him with your chains in your sin, in bondage to your iniquity? Was that Jesus' response? Go away from me. You're an unclean man. Was that his response? His response is amazing. It's astonishing in light of all of our sin. Verse 13, and he stretched out his hand and touched him, a leprous man, an infectious man, a contagious man. He touches him. And what does he say? I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Notice with me again, three points. Christ's humiliation for us, Christ's reassurance to us, and Christ's effect upon us. First, Christ's humiliation for us. 
Notice that with this leprous man, he stretches out his hand and he touches him. He touches him. That, remember, remember, this isn't just a historical event where we're supposed to see Christ's power in healing a man of a physical ailment, of a physical malady. It's meant to illustrate a spiritual reality to us. People get saved thinking about texts like this because they see their spiritual leprosy and they see Jesus Christ's power to save them from their sin. This is meant to convey spiritual realities to you. It's meant to give you hope. That's what it's meant to do. And Jesus, what does he do? He stretches out his hand and he touches the leprous man. And what's that? A, why, why such detailed language? Why such detailed language? It's an illustration of Christ's humiliation. It's an illustration of his incarnation. Jesus Christ came and he took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh so that he could take our place at the cross. Look with me at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52. And I don't think that Luke had in mind Isaiah chapter 52 or 53 when he was recounting this event. But I do think that this text is relevant to the incarnation and the humiliation of Christ. And therefore, I think it can be brought to bear on this text. Isaiah chapter 52, look at verse seven. We're hearing about good news this evening, right? Verse seven. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord, notice the language. The Lord has bared his holy arm. A way we can say that with modern uh, modern colloquialism as he rolled up his sleeve. He bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse one. I wanna show you something. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Do you see how contextually he's talking about the rolling up of his sleeve here? He's talking about how he was bearing his arm in the sight of the nations. He says, to whom has this arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Who's this talking about? It's Christ. It's our Messiah. It's Jesus. He is the arm of the Lord and God in the incarnation. He is bearing his arm in the sight of all the nations. That doesn't mean that God has a body. It's a figure of speech to mean that we see the father through and in Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the incarnation. And why does he bear his holy arm? So that he can stretch it out and touch us in our leprosy and cleanse us from our sin. That's why. That's why he does it. Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two. And we could go to many other places. The New Testament is full of texts concerning the incarnation, concerning Christ's humiliation, Philippians chapter two among them. But in Hebrews chapter two, we have very explicit language here. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. 
partook of the same. What are you talking about? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God partook of flesh and blood in the incarnation. He assumed unto himself a human nature. Why? That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Why did he partake of human flesh? So that he could die. God can't bleed. God can't die. He took upon himself human flesh so that he could take our place and so that he could render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels. Jesus Christ didn't take upon himself an angelic nature. No, he took upon himself a human nature. A human nature. Romans chapter eight says he partook of the likeness of sinful flesh. Not that he was sinful, but he took upon himself the same flesh that we sin with. We sin with sinful flesh. He partook of himself the same kind of flesh as us. Why? So that he could take our place. So that he could take our place. He stretched out his hand and he touched us and he cleansed us from our leprosy. Not only, not only back in Luke chapter five, Not only does Jesus Christ reassure him by reaching out his hand and touching him, but he reassures him with his words, with his speech. What does he say after he reaches out his hand, after he bears his holy arm and he touches him and cleanses him? What does he say? He says, I am willing. I am willing. Be cleansed. There are many Many in the Christian walk who have faith and yet have little to no hope. They see their sin. They're looking at their sin. They're looking at their transgressions. They're looking upon their iniquities and they ask themselves, how in the world could a holy God be willing to save me? I know he's sufficient. I know he's sufficient. I know he can do it. I know he can. I know that Jesus died. I know that that's the only source of salvation for anyone and that he is completely sufficient to save someone like me. But how could he? Look at what I've done. These blood-stained hands. Why would he touch me? A leper. Jesus says, I am willing. Be cleansed. Do you see how astonishing and amazing that is? Do you see how reassuring that is? You should feel reassured. He gave this text for you. He gave it so that you would know that anyone who came to him and begged him, he wouldn't turn them away. Jesus in John chapter six, he says, anyone who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Come to Jesus Christ. He won't cast you out. He will stretch out his hand and touch you. He will embrace you and say, I am willing. Most assuredly, I'm willing. Be cleansed. He died. He died as a demonstration of his willingness to save filthy and rotten sinners like yourself. He gave abundant proof of his willingness to save. He gave abundant willing, uh, proof of his willingness to save. Not only does Jesus Christ stretch out his hand and touch the man and reassure him in that way, not only is that an illustration of Christ's incarnation and his humiliation on our behalf, Not only do we see Christ's reassurance with his words when he says, I am willing, be cleansed, but we also see Christ's effect upon the one whom he touches. Look lastly, verse 13c. And immediately the leprosy left him. It went away. 
It went away. There's a promise there. There's a promise. God made a promise in Genesis chapter two to Adam. He said, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam died many years later, many years later, hundreds of years later, but he died that day. And here, Jesus Christ, when you're converted, he touches you and he cleanses you. Many, many years, maybe today, right? You could die tonight, but in all uh, probability, many years from now, you will be fully cleansed when you are glorified, when you are resurrected with him. But you're already clean. You're already clean. Immediately, the leprosy left. Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. Verse 12. Verse eight. Verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Do you see that? For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Everything was accomplished to deliver Jesus Christ from the power of death. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And notice... Notice he makes practical application. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And then he gives us the foundation for that assertion in verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. You, if you have been saved, if you have exercised saving faith, if you have been like this leper, you realized you were covered with leprosy. There is nothing, you couldn't scrape it off. There is nothing that you could do. You were devoid of hope. And you fell on your face and you went to Jesus Christ in humility and you pleaded with him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You pleaded with him. If you are willing, you can make me clean. You are no longer under the dominion of sin. Jesus Christ once for all has delivered you from the power and the lordship of your sin and iniquity. He has delivered you from it. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. By way of practical application, because what, what have I just talked to you about? The gospel. That's what I've talked to you about. That's all I've talked to you about is the gospel. I've reminded you again. We need to be reminded on a continual basis of the gospel. Why? Why? Because you who began according to the spirit will not be perfected by the flesh. You will be perfected by the Holy Spirit working according to the foundation of the gospel, according to what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. And the practical application that I want to bring home to you is remember the gospel. Remember from where you came. You were a leper. There is nothing that you did to cleanse yourself from your leprosy. If you are clean this evening, it's because of what he did. It's because of his lordship. It's because of his ability. There was no reason. Why? Why should he have saved you? Why should he have saved you? There was nothing within you that could have motivated him to do so. But it's because he loved you. It's because he loved you. Not because you deserved it. He stretched out his hand and he touched an unworthy leper. So what should you do? John the Baptist wasn't afraid to make specific application to the people. 
tax collectors, don't, um, don't gather any more than you should. And soldiers, don't oppress anyone, etc. He made specific application to the people. What should you do in light of all that God has done for you? Love one another. Love one another. Love God. Be grateful to him. Read the word. Meditate on it day and night. You were a leper. Meditate on it day and night. You were a leper. Pray every day. Commune with God. Love one another. Don't hold bitterness in your heart against your spouse. Don't be embittered against your brother. Love one another. Be patient with one another. Turn from your sin. Turn from your selfishness. Turn from your idolatry. Turf, uh, turn from everything. The sin, yes, but turn also from those things which entangle you and bog you down, the worries of the world. Turn from those things. Free yourself up from those things. Devote yourself to God in humility. Why? Because you were a leper and you've been cleansed. That's why. That's why. Be motivated by gospel motivations to turn from the seventh commandment, to turn from the eighth commandment, to turn from the third commandment. Turn from those things. Turn from taking his name in vain. Obey God from the heart. Why? Because you were a leper. And because he stretched out his hand and he touched you and he, and he said, I am willing to be cleansed. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for everything that you have done. Thank you for reaching out and touching an unworthy people. We have dull and insensitive hearts by nature. We are so thankful for what you have done. We did not deserve your condescension. We did not deserve the humiliation of your son. We did not deserve his incarnation. We did not deserve for him to assume unto himself a nature like ours and to take our place, that his life would be our righteousness and that our debt would be paid by his death. We didn't deserve it. Thank you. Thank you for the provision that you've made for in him. Thank you that you are willing, God, to save wicked and filthy sinners like us. Thank you. We praise you. Hello, and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.